love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. A History of Denmark and the Succession of Frederick X. On January 14, 2024, Queen Margrethe II of Denmark, the second longest reigning monarch in Danish history and the last remaining female monarch in the world, abdicated. She handed the throne to her son, who is now King Frederick X. Let's take a look at the history of this small but happy Scandinavian country and meet the most significant rulers of Europe's oldest monarchy. Along the way, we'll see how their crown jewels were crafted and how their coronation rituals changed. Finally, I'll cover how the succession of King Frederick X and Queen Mary was just celebrated. Despite many news outlets calling this event a coronation, it was actually a succession and proclamation because crowns were not ritualistically placed on anyone's head. Around 12,000 BCE, humans followed reindeer and elk across the glaciers, which covered what is now Scandinavia. As the ice melted, land and vast forests emerged. Around 3,000 BCE, agriculture arrived. Scandinavian culture stretches across modern-day Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and parts of Finland. Even today, Danes, Swedes, and Norwegians can understand each other's languages. Because Denmark is the furthest south, it has a more favorable climate and better farm yields. Though it is smaller by area than Norway and Sweden, it can support a larger, more dense population. Additionally, its connection to mainland Europe facilitated trade. Though the Roman army didn't march so far north, Danes traded with the vast empire. Thus, in its early history, Denmark was wealthier than its Scandinavian neighbors. Abundant trees and coastline meant Scandinavians developed a talent for shipbuilding. In the late 700s, they took to the sea to go Viking, which is a verb, not an ethnicity. Most engaged in legitimate trade, but in times of famine, they resorted to raiding and piracy. In 793, Norwegian Vikings attacked the English monastery island of Lindisfarne. They slaughtered the monks and carried their gold and jewel-encrusted holy relics and many now-enslaved novices back home. Monasteries were easy targets. They were full of wealth and poorly defended, as Christians believed that no one would dare attack a holy site. 
but the Norse had no reverence for the Christian god. Their own gods, Odin the Allfather, Thor, Loki, Freya, and many others, helped them make sense of the world. Their belief that the only path to the afterlife in Valhalla was to die in battle made them fearless warriors. They occasionally made animal and human sacrifices to appease the gods. Many victims in Denmark were thrown into bogs, where they were well-preserved. These bodies give us some of the best archaeological evidence of the Viking Age. Most Scandinavians were not violent seafarers. They were farmers, fishermen, and craftsmen. They had an advanced and complex culture, with laws, art, and architecture, and a written alphabet called runes. Because women were in charge of the vital food supply, they had more social prominence and rights than other women in Europe, and they could go Viking as shield maidens. All this trading and raiding brought great wealth back to Scandinavia, which led to social stratification and the emergence of local kings. A Danish king named Gudfrid went to war with Charlemagne in 1804. The mighty Holy Roman Emperor took Goldfried's sister as a concubine as part of a peace treaty. In 866, Ivar the Boneless of Denmark led the great heathen army in a conquest of the northern half of modern-day England, which was renamed Danelaw. They subjugated all the Anglo-Saxon kings, except for Alfred the Great of Wessex. Danelaw dominated the area for 90 years and saw mass migration of Scandinavians. But in 953, Alfred's son and daughter defeated Viking king Eric Bloodaxe and Danelaw fell. The Norse still controlled many other nearby lands. In 885, a Viking named Rollo laid siege to Paris. King Charles the Simple paid him off with a massive bribe. And, in exchange for a promise to defend Paris from other Vikings, he granted him a duchy in northern France, which was renamed Normandy after the Northmen. In 917, Vikings founded the city of Dublin, Ireland. Other Vikings settled the uninhabited Faroe Islands, Iceland, and Greenland. They were the first Europeans to land in North America, where they set up a short-lived colony, probably in what is modern-day Newfoundland. Semi-legendary warrior king Ragnar Lodbrok, whom you may know as the main character from the 2013 series The Vikings, became famous for attacking both the Anglo-Saxons and the Franks. His descendant, Gorm the Old, emerged as the first historically verifiable king of Denmark in 936. He was the founder of the oldest monarchy in Europe, which is still in existence today. Gorm's wife, Queen Thora, strengthened the southern wall which protected Denmark from the Saxons. When she died, Gorm built for her one of the first Yelling Stones, a massive memorial runestone which commemorates Thora as Denmark's salvation. Their son, Harald Bluetooth, expanded the kingdom into southern Sweden. When the King of Norway was assassinated, Harald claimed his vacant throne. Christian missionaries came to his court, and one carried a great weight of red-hot iron without being burnt. Impressed by the power of the Christian god, the king was baptized and introduced to Christianity in 965. At first, most Danes refused to abandon Odin. 
Harald's name, Bluetooth, probably came from him having a front tooth that was rotten and appeared blue. In 1997, the technology used to connect electronic devices wirelessly was named Bluetooth after Harald, because he united Denmark, Norway, and parts of Sweden. The symbol on your phone comes from the runes for his initials. Harald's son, Sven Forkbeard, rebelled and sent his father into exile. When he learned that King Ethelred the Unready of England had massacred one of the remaining Viking settlements in England, Sven went on a revenge campaign. He forced Ethelred into exile and became King of England himself. Five weeks into his rule, Sven died suddenly. He either fell from his horse or was murdered. His embalmed body was sent back to Denmark for burial. He left Denmark to his son, Harald II, and England to his son, Knut. The English drove Knut out and reinstated Ethelred. Harald died and Knut became king of Denmark. He returned to England and defeated Ethelred's son, Edmund. Thus, Knut the Great united Denmark, Norway, and England in the North Sea Empire. Legend claims that Knut was so arrogant he stood on the beach and tried to command the waves to obey him. However, he was in fact a wise and just ruler. He married Ethelred's widow, the formidable Emma of Normandy. She promoted her own son, Hartha Knut, and spread rumors that Knut's son from his first marriage, Harald Harfoot, was actually sired by a cobbler. Thus, Hartha Knut was named heir over his brother. When Knut died, Hartha Knut was in Denmark, and he claimed that throne. But Harald claimed England. However, he died at 24, and when Hartha Knut arrived in England to claim the throne, he had his brother's corpse exhumed, publicly beheaded, and thrown in the Thames. Hartha Knut struggled to maintain his many crowns. Magnus I took control of Norway. At 24, Hartha Knut got drunk at a wedding. Just as he stood to toast the bride, he collapsed in convulsions and died, officially of a stroke though poison was obviously suspected. With his death, both the House of Gorm and the Danish rule of England came to an end. Anglo-Saxon king Edward the Confessor took over England. After his death in 1066, William, Duke of Normandy, a descendant of the Viking Rollo, conquered England. King Magnus the Good of Norway briefly conquered Denmark. He tried to reunite Canute's North Sea Empire, but failed. Upon his death, he left Denmark to his frenemy, Sven II, the son of Sven I's daughter, Estrid. Sven II re-established royal authority in Denmark. He promoted Christianity, which cemented his control and allowed him to forge an alliance with the Holy Roman Empire. Originally, the Danish monarchy was elective. Usually, the king's eldest son was chosen. But in the brutal Middle Ages, kings often died young while their sons were still in the cradle. The people needed a strong, adult leader, so the king's brother was a good alternative. But this opened the door for civil war. Sven had at least 20 illegitimate children, and five of his sons took their turn as king. The most significant was Knut IV. He was devout and taxed the people heavily to build churches and monasteries. He wanted to reclaim England from William the Conqueror and assembled a fleet of 1,000 ships, but he was held up in the Holy Roman Empire and running late. 
The peasant sailors needed to return home for the harvest and grew tired of waiting. This thwarted invasion in 1086 is considered the end of the Viking Age. When Canute finally arrived and found the men gone, he was furious. The king set a massive tax on every sailor and soldier, infuriating his people. With murderous rebels on his heels, the king ran to St. Albans Priory. The mob paid no heed to the sanctity of the church. They stormed in and struck Canute on the head with a rock, then stabbed him to death. When Queen Adele came to take Canute's corpse, a light allegedly shone around the church. Canute IV was canonized and later named the patron saint of Denmark. In the 70 years that followed, bloody civil war rocked the country as the many sons of Sven II and their descendants fought over the throne. Eric III ruled for a decade but abdicated and retired to a monastery. He was the only Danish monarch to voluntarily abdicate until Margrethe II in 2024. Cousins Sven III, Valdemar I, and Canute V came to peace terms and decided to split the kingdom between them. At a banquet celebrating the treaty, Canute stabbed Sven to death and wounded Valdemar. The event is known as the Blood Feast of Roskilde. Valdemar narrowly escaped, but he came back at Canute with his army. Canute tried to flee the battlefield, but his horse got stuck in a bog and he was murdered by furious peasants. Valdemar the Great thus gained control and stabilized the kingdom. He re-established Danish power in the Baltic Sea and built the first castle on the site of Copenhagen. His son, Valdemar II, launched crusades and claimed territory in Pomerania and Estonia. According to legend, the Danish flag fell from heaven during a battle in 1219 and inspired the Danish troops to fight on. It is the oldest flag still in existence today. The king was defeated and returned home to write a code of law, which banned trial by ordeal. He introduced the feudal system, which concentrated power in the hands of the nobility and took rights and wealth away from the peasants. Upon his death, his sons with Berengaria of Portugal went to war over the throne. Eric V made enemies among the nobles and was forced to sign a Danish version of the Magna Carta. But they weren't satisfied and the king was stabbed 56 times by an unidentified assassin. Christopher II spent lavishly on feasts during famines, and a peasant revolt broke out. He mortgaged his nation to German nobles who took over after his death. For eight years, Denmark had no king. But when the most powerful count was assassinated, the rest decided they did want the protection of a king, so they elected Christopher's son, Valdemar IV. During his reign, a ghost ship washed up on the shore of Jutland. Locals found only corpses with swollen black faces. They stayed long enough to carry away the valuable cargo and fleas which carried the bubonic plague. As the disease burned its way through Denmark, King Valdemar had an easy time re-establishing royal authority over his decimated people. When his only son died, he and Magnus IV, who was king of Norway and claimed Sweden, hatched a plot to unite their kingdoms. Valdemar's daughter, Margrethe, wed Prince Håkon of Norway, and they had one son, Olaf, who inherited both thrones by the age of 10. Margrethe was his regent and was competent, wise, and well-respected. 
King Olaf died at the age of 16. It was rumored that his mother had poisoned him, but this is unlikely. Margrethe became the first Queen Regnant of Scandinavia. She conquered Sweden and in 1398 united all three kingdoms, plus the Faroe Islands, Iceland, and Greenland, in the Kalmar Union, which was dominated by Denmark for the next 125 years. Check out my video on Margrethe I. She died at 59 and passed the throne to her great-nephew, Eric of Pomerania. He lacked her talents and was deposed in favor of his nephew, Christopher of Bavaria. He died childless at 31, so the Danish lords elected Christian of Oldenburg, who descended from three previous kings, Eric IV, Abel, and Eric V. He brought Schleswig-Holstein under the control of the Danish throne. For good measure, Christian married Christopher's widow, Dorothea of Brandenburg. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty. And about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today. And join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode. Where I'd like to tell you a story. Sweden became increasingly resentful of Danish control and fought numerous battles for independence. Christian II managed to reconquer Sweden, but ordered 100 Swedish nobles and churchmen to be hanged or beheaded during the Stockholm bloodbath. One of the survivors, Gustav Vasa, led a successful rebellion and was named King of the Newly Independent Sweden in 1523, ending the Kalmar Union. Danes were furious over the loss of Sweden and deposed Christian II in favor of his uncle, Frederick I. From this point on, Danish kings alternated between the names Frederick and Christian. During his reign, the ideas of German monk Martin Luther came to dominate Denmark. Many Danes who resented the church's constant demands for tithes were receptive, and Bibles printed in Danish sold out. 
The king was on board and was eager to reclaim church lands. He increased the crown revenue by 300%. Armed with a royal decree, Danes across the country forced monks out of their monasteries and removed statues, paintings, and relics, much as their Viking ancestors had done, but with considerably less murder. Church leaders weren't happy to see their wealth and power dismantled. When Frederick I died, the state council, which was controlled by bishops, refused to recognize his son, who was a staunch Lutheran, as Christian III. The deposed king, Christian II, took the opportunity to invade. Christian III defeated his cousin and slaughtered 2,000 Catholic peasants who had supported him. He instituted Lutheranism as the state religion. Denmark's Catholic bishops were imprisoned and only released if they converted and got married. Christian III's Sword of State from 1551 is the oldest piece in the Danish regalia today. Frederick II and Eric XIV of Sweden competed in a cold war to see who could trace their lineage back further and build the most impressive castle. Frederick was renowned for his elaborate festivals and entertainments, and for having a rare happy marriage to Sophie of Mecklenburg. Their son, Christian IV, came to the throne as an ambitious 19-year-old. During his reign, Denmark grew rich by taxing grain shipped from the Baltic to the Netherlands via the Orsund Sound. In 1595, he commissioned an ornate gold, diamond, and pearl crown, which is one of the three crowns in the Danish regalia today. Christian is considered second only to Elizabeth of England as a royal renaissance patron of the arts. His court was filled with artists and writers. His sister, Anne, married Elizabeth's heir, James I and VI, and the two courts maintained close ties. The king got involved in the Thirty Years' War between Catholic and Protestant nations. The conflict devastated the Danish economy. Sweden performed much better, and with the help of the Netherlands, they invaded Denmark. Christian was forced to cede land to Sweden and stop taxing Dutch ships. Nevertheless, Christian IV is considered one of the greatest Danish kings. During his 59-year reign, the longest in the nation's history, he undertook numerous building projects and established cities in his own name. During the frigid winter of 1658, the sea between Sweden and Denmark froze over. Charles X Gustav of Sweden marched his army across the ice and forced Denmark to give up their last holdings in Sweden. Following this disaster, Frederick III convinced his nobles that the nation needed a stronger central authority, namely him. He dismantled the old election system and made Denmark an absolute monarchy. In centuries past, once a king was elected, he would be proclaimed by his people, and a crown would be placed upon his head. But under absolutism, the monarch claimed authority directly from God. The coronation was done away with, and Christian V and his successors were instead anointed with holy oil. To enhance his prestige, he commissioned a magnificent gilded coronation chair. He claimed it was carved from unicorn horn, though it was actually made from Norwal tusks. The throne is flanked by life-sized silver lions, symbolic of the king's dominion over Denmark and Norway. When Christian V entered St. Mary's Cathedral to be anointed, he wore a spectacular, newly made golden crown, studded with diamonds, sapphires, spinels, and garnets. The mound is blue enamel, representing the world under the cross. 
It is a closed design, which symbolizes a greater authority than the open crown worn by elected kings. This crown is the centerpiece of the modern regalia, and typically only leaves its display case at Rosenborg Castle to be placed on a monarch's coffin. Christian V's younger brother, Prince George, wed Queen Anne of England. Christian VI's queen, Sophie Magdalena of brandenburg kulbach was anointed with her husband and wore a new crown designed as a daintier version of the king's crown. It is the third crown in the modern regalia. During Christian VI's reign, the nobility were eager to enrich themselves with cheaper labor, so they turned the free peasants into serfs who were bound to the land and had few rights. Because the people had no incentive to perform more than the bare minimum, agricultural yields were low and the plan backfired. Both Frederick V and Christian VII were kings in name only. The father was alcohol-dependent and allowed his ministers to govern. The son was incapacitated by mental illness. His regent, a German doctor named Johann Strunzi, attempted to introduce Enlightenment reforms, including freedom of the press and religion, but the people were resistant. Johann also took his majesty's place in the bedroom and conducted an affair with his queen, Caroline Matilda of Great Britain. Christian divorced her and ordered Johann beheaded and quartered. His mangled corpse was publicly displayed. After 12 years of chaos, reformers, influenced by the ideals of the French Revolution and aided by the Crown Prince Regent, later Frederick VI, ended serfdom, expanded civil rights, introduced universal education, and strengthened the economy through free trade. A decade of peace was ended abruptly by the Napoleonic Wars. Denmark was neutral, but Britain feared that their navy would be captured by the French so they attacked Copenhagen and wiped out the fleet in 1801. Sweden sided with France, and when their dynasty ended, they installed a French soldier, Jean-Baptiste Bernadotte, as the new king. He defeated Denmark and forced them to give up Norway after 400 years of union. Frederick VI had only daughters, so the throne passed to his cousin, Christian VIII. His reign was considered a golden age for Danish intellectualism. Author Hans Christian Andersen, philosopher Søren Kierkegaard, and sculptor Thor Wilson became world famous. Frederick VII came to the throne in 1848, a year in which revolutions swept across Europe. To avoid bloodshed, the new king acquiesced to the bourgeoisie and agreed to give up his absolute power in favor of a constitution. Thus, he was never anointed, and the tradition died out. From then on, new monarchs were merely proclaimed from the balcony of Christianborg Palace. Frederick VII was married to Frederick VI's daughter, Wilhelmine Marie, but his cruelty and womanizing made for an unhappy union. They divorced and he wed a German princess with the same result. His third wife was his mistress, a ballet dancer named Louise Rasmussen. They were happier, but the king had no children to show for his three marriages. So his distant cousin, whose royal descent went all the way back to Christian III, became King Christian IX. He founded the house of Schleswig-Holstein-Sonderberg-Glücksberg, usually shortened to Glücksberg. His reign saw Denmark industrialized. 
Christian is often called the father-in-law of Europe because his wife, Louise of Hesse-Kessel, arranged advantageous marriages for many of their children. Check out my episodes all about them. Their daughter, Alexandra, wed Edward VII of the UK. Dagmar married Tsar Alexander III of Russia and Tura, the crown prince of Hanover. Their second son was elected King George I of Greece. His descendants reigned there until the monarchy was abolished in 1973. One member of the Greek and Danish branch was Prince Philip, the husband of Queen Elizabeth II of the UK. So King Charles III is technically a member of the House of Glücksberg, though he has decided to stick with his mother's dynasty name of Windsor. Christian IX's eldest son, Frederick VIII, was kept politically impotent until his father died at the age of 87. He only got six years to enact liberal reforms before he died of a heart attack at 68. In 1905, his second son was elected King Håkon VII of a newly independent Norway, and his descendants continue to reign there today. In 1918, Iceland became a sovereign state, but they kept Christian X as their king until 1944. To avoid revolution, he was forced to split Schleswig-Holstein and hand the southern half to Germany. In 1940, Denmark accepted that they had no chance of holding off the Nazis and surrendered to occupation. Christian X rode his horse through Copenhagen daily to inspire his people to mental resistance. He personally funded the evacuation of Danish Jews and lived to 1947, long enough to see the Nazis defeated. Frederick IX served in the Navy and had the tattoos to prove it. His reign saw the transformation of Denmark into a booming modern economy. He wed Princess Ingrid of Sweden, who modernized the royal family and did away with outdated court customs. They had three daughters, so Frederick changed the succession from agnatic to male preference primogeniture, so his oldest child, Margrethe II, could succeed him in 1972. I covered the lives of both Margrethe II and her son in last week's episode. So let's skip ahead to the events that just occurred in Copenhagen to celebrate the end of Margrethe's reign and the succession of her son, who is now King Frederick X. In the days leading up to the abdication, tributes to the queen, who has been on the throne for 52 years, appeared all over Denmark. Danes expressed excitement for the new king and queen. Down under, there was plenty of enthusiasm for Mary, Europe's first Australian-born queen. On Sunday, January 14, 2024, a cold, gray, and snowy day, thousands of people lined the streets of Copenhagen to catch a glimpse of the royals as they rode from Amalienborg Castle to Christianborg Palace. Queen Margrethe traveled in a state coach drawn by six white horses and escorted by a mounted squadron. Other royals arrived in a vintage Rolls-Royce. At 2 p.m., during a meeting of the Council of State, the queen signed her declaration of abdication. The moment her pen left the parchment, her son automatically became King Frederick X. Margrethe offered the top chair to the new monarch, and her grandson, Christian, moved up to the crown prince's seat. Then the former queen poignantly left the room and took the rolls back to Amalienborg. The new king and queen consort held a reception for invited guests. 
as there was only two weeks' notice. Foreign royals and heads of state were not expected to attend. However, Danish royals, politicians, and high-ranking military and clergy were there. At 3 p.m., King Frederick and Prime Minister Mette Frederiksen stepped onto the balcony of Christianborg Palace to a massive cheering crowd. Mette officially proclaimed the new king, Frederick X, to his people, and she led them in a round of hurrahs. Then the visibly emotional king gave a speech in which he praised his mother and asked for the help of his beloved wife, family, and his people in becoming the king of tomorrow. Wife and family joined him on the balcony for a wave. In the past, proclamations have come within hours of the death of a monarch. Thus, mourning female royals have always worn black. But as this was a rare, joyous occasion, Queen Mary went with white, a deeply historic color for coronations and proclamations. Since ancient times, royal women have been wearing white, symbolic of purity and divinity. It has also been the inaugural ball gown hue of choice for U.S. First Ladies since Dolly Madison in 1809. Queen Camilla, Princess Catherine, and other royal women wore white to King Charles III's coronation last year. To learn more, check out my video on the history of coronation fashion. Interestingly, Mary's eldest daughter, Princess Isabella, wore the other Danish flag color, red, while her three siblings all donned navy blue. The smiling royal family came out for an encore wave to the crowd. Then the new king and queen returned to Amalienborg Palace in the horse-drawn carriage. The historic day ended with a fireworks display in Trivoli Gardens to celebrate King Frederick X and Queen Mary. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.